the whole universe is vibrating with mm-hmm. sound. Every single thing. Your body is playing music right now. Your organs, your cells, everything is playing music in your body. Um, we just can't hear most of the frequencies. So for me, music is a sound vibration. And it also, again, it's that emotional quality, the heart quality. So, um, you know, most of us don't love music when there's no soul to it. It's just a bunch of notes, frequencies, but they're not really impacting us. Um, So what I love about music is that you're able to connect in with the emotional quality, Mm -hmm. you know, to the sound vibration. Hello, everyone. My name is Duncan Autry, and you are listening to Fractal Friends. This is the podcast where we explore our self-similarity across our diversity. We all have a role to play in the whole, and the purpose of this show is to interview people with interesting perspectives on the world and to see what it is that we can learn from each other. Today's guest is Amber Field. Amber is a musician, a performer, and a master teacher. They use music and expressive arts as healing and liberating practices for individuals and communities. They like to look at music and arts as tools for activism and also as tools for personal and social change. Amber identifies as genderqueer and non-binary, and so we also have a really powerful conversation about both of our experiences with gender. Just as I like for people to refer to me with he and him pronouns, Amber uses they and them as their preferred pronouns. This is a way to signify that they don't identify as masculine or feminine. It doesn't mean that they consider themselves to be plural. It's just a linguistic convention. If this is confusing to you or if this is new to you, that's okay. Just try your best. Um, I've included some resources in the show notes at fractalfriends.us so you can learn more about how they and them are used as pronouns for people who identify as non-binary. Amber was born in South Korea and they were adopted by a woman who was working at the U.S. Embassy. They grew up in countries all over the world, as well as the Midwest of the United States. And as such, we also have a pretty powerful conversation about adoption and the importance of healing the primal wound that comes from being separated from one's mother as such a young child. And we also talk about the importance for all of us to connect with our ancestors. And throughout the conversation, we talk about the value of curiosity and compassion and community as tools that all of us can use as we face the important questions in our lives. Thank you for listening to Fractal Friends, and um, please subscribe to the podcast. And also, again, come down to fractalfriends.us to get more information about Amber and all the things that we discuss here. This conversation was recorded in September of 2018. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy this conversation with Amber Field. Amber, hi, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Duncan. I'm just really excited to talk to you, um, someone who I have been touched by, but I've also seen how much like people who are close to me have been touched by Mm. you, and so um, I'm just grateful for that. Yeah, I love being in this community with you. Yeah. and so, you know, one of the ways you really move people is by helping them find their voice and mm-hmm. um, helping people learn how to sing and to get in touch with themselves, but also get in touch with their stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think stories be a nice place to start. I would just love if you just kind of, um, you know, give us a little bit of your story. Yeah. 
Well, hmm, it's interesting because I've been on a lot of podcasts lately and I have heard what stories, you know, I'm saying and I'm like, okay, I'm actually a little tired of some of these stories. So um, before I launch into a story, I'm not sure which one yet, um, just recognizing that there are times where when I'm not speaking and um, sharing my truth and my story, I feel... um, kind of like I'm about to implode, you know, I feel like this silence um, building up inside of me. So the power of storytelling in terms of being able to speak our truth and to be witnessed and to be heard, um, so important. And then also, um, after telling my story for a while, really reflecting on how do some of these stories that I'm telling, how do they make me feel? You know, what limiting beliefs or boxes am I putting myself into with some of my stories? And then really thinking about what narratives do I want to be saying? How do I want to transform some of my life scripts? So I feel like I'm at a point in my life right now where um, I can feel I'm in a little bit of a death cycle as well as a rebirth cycle. And I'm in a little bit of a limbo where I'm not quite sure what new stories are going to come out. I just know that certain stories have um, are boring me, making me tired, bringing me down. So I want to tell some new stories, especially around sex and sexuality and gender. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I'm at right now. And in terms of what is a story that I want to say about my life? Mm-hmm. Um, First of all, I just yeah. thank you for that. I just really appreciate yeah. like that nuance there, like mm-hmm. or that thing. I know that... I can notice how stories like it's like wow. Let me tell you all the hard things I've been through, mm-hmm. and let me tell you all the successes that I have to get to where I am. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's like, well, actually, I kind of just want to play that out. Mm-hmm. I want to like be in that story, not that like you know what is what's the next step is actually mm-hmm. the interesting piece. Mm-hmm. You know, totally. Yeah. yeah. So you know, actually, what's in my heart right now is um, I think what's bringing to the forefront all of this storytelling is that my mother and I have been in, you know, challenging relationship, difficult relationship, you know, lots of repair, closeness, etc. So one of the triumphant stories is that she came to my wedding. I got married um, to my partner, Monique, a few months ago. And it was a real, like, not struggle, but we were very unsure, both of us, whether our mothers would come to the wedding or not. So it was a big deal when they came, and it was like a very healing... um, just healing for our families to have our mothers there. And then after that, maybe a couple weeks after the wedding, my mother listened to another podcast that I had um, done a while back where I talked about as a child or as a you know young adult um, feeling ostracized by my religion, by society, by my mother for being gay, for being queer. And my mother was really livid hearing that story and just, you know, went into this never happened. You know, why do you lie? Why do you publicly, you know, shame me, etc. And so, you know, I'm thinking about stories, perspectives, how everybody has a different perspective. And, you know, looking back, I know my mother, you know, when she financially cut me off and sent me this letter, she did not specifically say, I am cutting you off because you are gay. And I know that my religion um, and my mother, who believes in that religion, um, said that gay people are unnatural, immoral, you know, sinful, blah, 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 blah. Um, So, you know, I think a lot about um, different narratives and different perspectives and who gets to tell their stories and which one is going to hold out, you know, as like the quote unquote truth. And I believe that there are many, many truths, Mm -hmm. you know, depending on the perspective. Um, 
And I feel like there is a way when abuse happens that often um, the person who's the target of abuse gets gaslighted in terms of denial from the person that, I mean, look at the hearings right now with Kavanaugh and, you know, um, where it's like, again, victims, this is why victims never want to come forward. It's because they're the ones who go on trial, not the person who actually, you know, committed the um the um, sexual offense or violation. So, yeah, and I'm just thinking about, okay, there might have been a way that I could have been more skillful in telling my story in the past about my mother. You know, she did not specifically say, I am cutting you off because you're gay. And there is a way that, like, growing up in that family um, with those religious beliefs in a society, I did not feel accepted, you mm-hmm. know, loved as is, um, you know, celebrated for being queer. So I, I'm thinking about, like, the nuance of, like, more skillful storytelling, um, you know, as well as just being able to speak my truth and not be gaslighted and to be able to tell someone, no, you're not going to um, take away my truth of, of, of what I experienced. So there's just a lot swirling for me right now mm-hmm. about storytelling. Oh, wow. Thank you for sharing that. Actually, it was just in a, a workshop, a consent workshop, mm-hmm. um, led by Dossie Easton yesterday. And and, it, uh, and the conversation of gaslighting came up. Mm-hmm. And, and this guy was trying to understand what it meant. And, and, and we so we kind of got into this conversation about it. And, and one of the things that people kind of came to is like, He's like, but if I think that that's what I remember, is it okay for me to insist that that's what I remember? And Mm -hmm. you can say that this is like, I remember that this happened, Mm -hmm. but you can't do it at the expense of the other person's truth also, Mm -hmm. right? And so, like, you can say, I, this is what I think happened. Mm -hmm. And the other person can say, I think something totally different Mm -hmm. happened. And we can't actually figure out who's right or wrong here. Mm -hmm. And in fact, well, what is right is your perspective, totally. right? Like your experience. Like yep. My experience was feeling ostracized. Mm-hmm. Um, I had that similar thing with my family. I mean, like I felt like I was kicked out of the family and then realized like, oh, that was the story I carried, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that wasn't their experience. Their mm-hmm. experience was I ran away, basically. Right, you that know? you distanced, right? Yeah, I yeah, was yeah. distancing myself. And, oh. and it's like, you know, so part of the complexity of humanity is being able to mm-hmm. hold these things. Totally. And then, but also recognize that like memory is like totally an imperfect thing mm-hmm. also right mm-hmm. so we can't actually mm-hmm. like i don't know i said this no you said that mm-hmm. like i can't mm-hmm. we're not going to ever sort that out again mm-hmm. and um but we can still have our truth totally. right like this is the truth of the feelings that i have this is the truth of my memory right which is which is still unique from like what the actual video camera might have recorded in that moment or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel that you know, in addition to everybody being able to have their experience, it's like having a sense of um, curiosity about other perspectives mm-hmm. and compassion and empathy. So yeah, I mean, everybody's going to experience something differently right. because we're all you know from our different perspectives. But can we hold the complexity of that with kindness and compassion and curiosity? And I feel like you know the ways that our society is set up, it's like right, wrong, you know, there is no complexity. It's just like who is telling the right thing and who is telling the wrong thing. And then boom, I'm going to defend myself. I'm going to accuse you. You know, there's no compassion, no listening, no care about your experience at all. Um, so yeah, that, that makes me really sad in society. And I'm really hoping that we can open up the complexity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, definitely it's something that I'm very passionate about is like this idea that like, like right and wrong is kind of not really kind of the right question here. Mm-hmm. It's the, there's the nuance is important. And I think, you know, in politics, we have like, 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 these are my values. 
those are your values. Right. Like, this is what I think we should do. This is what I th- you think we should do. Mm-hmm. And, but the actual reality then becomes, oh, how are we going to play that out? Mm-hmm. What's that going to look like, right? Um, I had a friend who I was just talking to, and I finally actually understood what these words meant. He was like, I stopped being epistemological, and I started being ontological mm-hmm. recently. And I'm like, wait, can you explain that to me? And right. he's like, he's like, epistemology is saying like what's real or not. Mm-hmm. And ontology is like, how are we going to be? Yeah. And and so he was like, I don't like it doesn't really matter if like we are in a world that was created by an all knowing God mm-hmm. or if we're in a world that's like just a random series of explosions and, mm-hmm. and um, molecules bumping into each other or if like a spaghetti monster rules things mm-hmm. like we're in the Matrix we're in a computer program mm-hmm. like. I don't really know, like, that's a cool, interesting art conversation, but, like, mm-hmm. it's not really going to serve us. The question right. is, how do you want to be with me right now? Mm-hmm. How are we going to be in a relationship? Right. And if I believe in the value of being heard right. and honored for my feelings, mm-hmm. then I need to listen to you mm-hmm. and honor your feelings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, scary because we right. kind of all want to be in charge of our own lives, but not let other people do that. You know? Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so... I don't know. I, I um I like find myself uh like just before I invited you to be mm-hmm. here we like we we're having this conversation about like I was in my own sort of story about mm-hmm. gender and it was really mm-hmm. interesting um to run into your story about the dance between pride and shame. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I this pride day I woke up feeling ashamed mm-hmm. of my gender mm-hmm. and of myself, mm-hmm. and and I was like, "What is going on?" And and I was in a little crisis about it, and I was mm-hmm. like, "I can't go celebrate." Mm-hmm. And um, and like one of the things that I started noticing was that that I had been like trying to figure out: Am I masculine? Am I feminine? I'm like, mm-hmm. how do I present myself? Mm-hmm. What's okay? Mm-hmm. What's not okay? Um, specifically noticing that, wow, there's like a lot of masculine traits that I want to adopt more. I want to learn how to be more assertive Mm -hmm. and I want to learn how to do this. And then Mm -hmm. I was also like, ooh, also like the feminine side of me like also hasn't been very healthy. Mm -hmm. I want to be, I want to have better boundaries. I want to actually be able to stick up for myself Mm -hmm. and not be as codependent, which Mm -hmm. is kind of how I'm starting to understand what toxic femininity might look like. I don't know if that's the right track, but, but I've been like, but then I was like, what am I doing? Like, what is what? And then, I finally realized that, wait, masculine, feminine, like that, these are just buckets mm-hmm. that we can just like put labels into. Mm-hmm, we could take mm-hmm, them out, mm-hmm. switch them around. And I actually can't think of any way of describing gender that isn't just better done by using other words, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I want to be more assertive, you know, mm-hmm, like we can mm-hmm. describe mountain and valley, we can right. giving and receiving, we can like try, we categorize them and then break them down again. But like, and, and so that was like really helpful for me to mm-hmm. be like, oh, how do I want to be right now? You mm-hmm. know, and like, what is, how do I want to show up? And it's kind of like, so now I'm like, okay, I'm a male body person. Mm-hmm. I do some feminine things. I'm into wear eyeliner, I mm-hmm. crochet. Mm-hmm. And ah, that's it. I don't really need to describe it. Right. That, right. This is what right. I'm working on. Right. But it's like funny, but it was like, it's interesting. It's like how mm-hmm. challenging that dance is, you know? Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I mean, you know, I feel like we're under a big um, 
sort of gender explosion and revolution right now. The mm-hmm. same thing that happened with sexuality, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. So, you know, at some point it's like, yeah, really? There's only two options for sexuality. You're straight or you're gay. That's it. Come on. You know, and I feel like we're in the same thing now with gender where it's like, oh, it's either masculine or feminine, you know, man, woman. Um, so, you know, I feel like because of a lot of work that young people are doing in particular, it's like we're really realizing that like gender is a whole galaxy, a whole universe out there. There's so many options. Um, and so part of my liberation right now really feels like, you know, taking off this um, cloak of like, it's this or that, and which box am I going to put myself into? And really realizing that, um, you know, I'm a multiplicity of genders. I am none of them. I am all of them. Um, I don't believe in just two boxes um, and trying to, like, stuff myself into one of them. So that feels really exciting. It also feels scary at this point because our language is set up in such a dichotomy of, like, he, she, you know, pronouns. Um, So, yeah, it's, you know... I feel like I'm in a continual coming out process right now whenever mm-hmm. I talk to people and it's like trying to gauge is that person a safe person to, you know, use they pronouns? Are they going to get it? Are they going to mock me? Am I going to feel unsafe? You know, how about this whole room where like I'm the only person who identifies as non-binary? So it's it's kind of a um, courageous process that I'm in and sometimes I like don't have the energy for it and other days I do have more energy um but yeah it's it's exciting to feel like the limits of my own mind are now you know greatly expanding and you know one of my friends who's also non-binary said don't put yourself into another box so don't put yourself into the non-binary box (laughs) so they were saying like oh I was thinking that like oh I can't you know wear feminine clothing or this you know is not the right uniform or costume for someone who's non-binary and then they're like fuck it the whole point of like (laughs) becoming non-binary is to get out of these boxes I don't want to put myself into another one so that was a really helpful conversation and yeah just you know how do I want to be today right yeah I guess I'm curious, like what what are some of the ways that you feel liberated by by having a non-binary identity? I feel liberated because I feel like my whole life has been like, okay, um, trying to fit into the norms of, you know, maybe I should grow my hair out, maybe I should study these certain paths, maybe I should wear makeup, maybe, you know, like I should wear these clothes, etc. This is going to get me more societal approval. I'm going to feel, you know, better about myself. And then, you know, kind of shunning all of um, those uh, like sort of wiles around femininity and being really masculine and then um, challenge because I know that like I actually um, I have quite masculine energy you know so feeling like I really needed to become more of a sort of receptacle in terms of receiving and like softening um, instead of like aggressively going out there in the world so it's like you know been this interesting and confusing journey of you know, moving towards some of the typical mores around femininity, um, moving away from some of them, but like being in this dance um, and then just always feeling like, why are there two options and only two options and these poles that I keep mm-hmm. bouncing back and forth and like neither sitting in one of the pole or the other never has felt right to me. Right. Um, and so it's liberating being like there are more options than just that pole or the other pole. Um, and I don't actually need to define, define myself within these two boxes. Um, so it, I just feel like I have a lot more breathing room where I get to just be, and I'm not concerned about how do I fit into a box. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Right. It's like not only like what box do I fit into, mm-hmm. but like what box am I trying to not fit into right. or trying to prove that I'm not, you know, like you can go both ways. Right? Totally. Uh, um, see, it helps me understand another experience I've had as at this workshop. Um, it was like a workshop for men mm-hmm. about, uh, um, it was uh, led by this woman. It was about mm-hmm. healing the relationship with the feminine. Mm-hmm. And it was like really an interesting workshop. But we started with this exercise where we just were walking around and we're like, walk around in like your masculine energy. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, Rah, you know, it's like mm-hmm. stomping around. And mm-hmm. then it's like, walk around in, in your feminine energy, like the most mm-hmm. typical feminine energy. And then like, I don't know what that would look like. But, mm-hmm. and then they're like, now walk around as yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, and I felt simultaneously just like, oh, wow, this feels really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also straight to tears because mm-hmm. I realized how, rare that is for me totally. right and also imagine like wait what if i like move through the world just trying to be me not who yeah. i'm trying to be not who i'm afraid that i might be right. not who i'm wanting to you know not who i was mm-hmm. like uh not my profession mm-hmm. like not my just mm-hmm. there and and like there's something about that and it, and it's wordless it's like like it goes sh- like it had like as soon as I would start talking about it or thinking about it, I like, mm-hmm. start losing it again. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, the only way I can notice just who I am right now is just notice who I am right now. Right. And as soon as I try to put any words or labels on it, then it's like, right, right, like right. Back, back to some other experience. You totally. Know? The labels are just, you know, they're labels and they're helpful unless they become like the thing that everyone holds on to. Mm-hmm. So that's what I found um, tricky about this gender thing. On some, you know, sometimes I even feel like the they pronoun is limiting. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, oh, great. Now I'm just going to like put myself into another box. Like you must use they pronouns mm-hmm. for me. Um, it feels like a better option than he or she, but it yeah. also feels like another box too. Yeah. So I don't know like what we're going to do with language. Why, you know, we have such gendered, um, pronouns. Um, but yeah, you know, as you were speaking about just be you, I f- literally felt myself sink down into my tailbone and like kind of relax in my back body. And I feel like that has been my experience and probably yours too. When you're trying to fit into a box, it's like center rising, no longer ourselves, just trying to like, you know, fit in or not fit in. Um, so h- what if we just are, mm-hmm. you know, and it's shifting and changing moment to moment. Right. Yeah. Like, I think that one of the, part of the reason why that's scary just to be how we are is because of this right and wrong mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. Like there's a way that when we, like want to really be strong in our identity. Mm. Um, and we also know that we are good, mm-hmm. right? Like each of us have motivated by something good, mm-hmm. you know, whatever we're doing. And like, well, then we see people do acting differently and then they have to be wrong because mm-hmm. we're right. And so right. then, and so then like it, it's either my team and your team, like, mm-hmm. it, like something about identity being fixed, like goes with, right and wrong being totally. fixed you know yeah. and 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 I, I imagine like a, a witnessed you know like mm-hmm. the conversations around they and they kind of get into mm-hmm. these like linguistic mm-hmm. you know debates about like mm-hmm. whether that's right or not and, and or the debate about whether or not you even get to be that identity mm-hmm. and like you know and whether or not you get to force someone to use language they don't want to mm-hmm. use and mm-hmm. and and it's hard generationally mm-hmm. like it's definitely a whole generation fully struggles with shifting like I literally was just explaining to someone but like so that means they think that they're plural and I'm like no 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 they're not think that they're plural I'm like wait really and I'm like yeah no they 
it's just a a, a, a placeholder for for a non non gender neutral mm-hmm. thing, and we actually already use it in our language. Totally. Like, no, we don't. And I'm like, no. Let me tell you a story. Like, my teacher said this thing the other day. Um, oh, what were they mad about? Yeah. Like, we just use that very quickly, you totally. know? Like, I saw this person on the street. Um, they're really struggling. Mm-hmm. What do they look like? Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. we, like it doesn't... Mm-hmm. Do we use that really quickly? Um, now, of course, it's... Once we know the person, we it's different, but... Yeah. The point being that, like, that debate then could easily get into, like, you're doing it wrong if you're mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. doing it the way I want you mm-hmm. to, and then all of a sudden we're back in a box again, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. ugh... Right, right. <laughs> um, I'll I'll definitely add some resources on the website about they in case people are struggling totally. with this conversation. I'll, but, but I'll do that work there. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, um, uh, it sounds like one of the things that you're in a way of sort of trying to talk about your gender is actually perform it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about your show you're about to do about that? Or yeah, so I'm in the very very beginning phases. Um, you know, I am in, I talked about earlier about being kind of in a death cycle. Um, so I just feel certain value, not even values, certain ideas, beliefs that I've been carrying for a while around um, my gender worthiness and, um, you know, my relationship to sex and sexuality and pleasure. They've been very limiting beliefs. They've been religious bullshit indoctrination, basically. Um, so I'm not quite sure where this piece is going to go um, because I'm in the like, yeah, these beliefs aren't working for me anymore and I need to come up with some new narratives. Um, so I'm in the phase right now of visioning, basically. Mm-hmm. So I don't have my vision down yet. Um, I have a couple months before um, the show gets up. So yeah, I'm in the in the deep work of visioning. Once you have your vision, everything starts getting, you can move. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I think the visioning is like the, um, the harder part where you're just sitting there in the dark really trying to like come up with the vision. Um, so yeah, I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but I know that I, I'm moving towards gender um, expansiveness, gender transcendence, gender fabulousness, just gender awesomeness. That's mm-hmm. what I'm moving towards. That's, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Uh, uh, thanks for sharing about that. Yeah. Hmm. I like the idea of like also the death cycle. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's interesting to notice like every time we're opening to something new, we mm-hmm. kind of have to let something go. Mm-hmm. And that's always like a grieving process, mm-hmm. even if it's something that's not good for us. Mm-hmm. There's a way that there's like a, letting that old way of being mm-hmm. that's usually hard earned totally die yeah, you know yeah. like and um and trusting that there'll be something else because mm-hmm. you actually have to kill the old way before you can find space totally. for the next one and it's like really scary yeah it yeah. is yeah. yeah yeah well i don't know one of your stories that i know was like a story that that is like a trend like a transition story mm-hmm. for you and it sounds like your like your social justice experience mm-hmm. that there was a a period where you were like in the like mm-hmm. let's fight mm-hmm. the man mm-hmm. and let's mm-hmm. you know push back mm-hmm. and I've been there mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a really important mm-hmm. stage you know mm-hmm. like to be angry about how mm-hmm. unjust things mm-hmm. are and to mm-hmm. um and maybe push that give that pain back a little mm-hmm. bit in certain mm-hmm. ways for whatever mm-hmm. way we feel like we can mm-hmm. um and then there was like this transition where you were like actually I really want to bring beauty here and mm-hmm. actually start talking about what moving towards mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um 
don't know if I, I got that right, but yeah. I, like, could you be willing to share a little bit about that trend, transition for you? Yeah. So, you know, in my 20s, primarily, um, I was an activist and a community organizer, an activist. Um, and I had a lot of angry energy. And I still think I have anger. Um, but it's just the ways that I was channeling that anger felt um, very self-righteous, very um, aggressive. Um, and I think there is a time and a place for all of that energy. I don't think it's bad at all, you know, how I was using it. And I feel like, um, you know, you need to have the fighters out there who are doing the hardline work of just telling, you know, bullies and abusers no. Um, and I just found that, like, that work... Um, was just feeding so much anger and hatred um, that I had. And it didn't feel like a good use of my energy. I felt like I was burning out a bit. So I decided to do some of my own healing. Um, and underneath that anger, there's also a lot of grief, you know. So I was coming in contact with a lot of grief. Um, and, yeah, righteous, you know, um, indignation over some of the ways that society um, treats certain groups, including myself. Um but yeah, I just realized that I wanted to do my own healing journey and that after I had done some healing to then go back out into society and to use art and like, you know, getting groups of people together to do this work where it wasn't so much like, you know, yelling and screaming in someone's face, you know, this person's the enemy, but more like of a nuanced conversation of like, yeah, we have societal structures which are... You know, there's hierarchy, there's oppression, etc. But we need everybody in that system to get on board to make change. Mm -hmm. So yelling at someone and telling them that they're evil is not really going to help them. Right. <laughs> you know, helping them see the harm that they're causing both themselves and other people and how the system, even though it might appear, could materially be serving somebody, but actually is causing greater alienation from themselves, disconnection with other people. That's the kind of work I want to do. Mm -hmm. So I can still, you know, loudly, you know, go, go on about um, structures and how they're unjust and messed up and whatnot. And to people's face, you know, I want to be calling in people, not just calling out people, because we need everyone to make this change. Mm -hmm. Wow. I really love how you, how you explain that. I actually been like working on this essay for the last couple of weeks I actually published it today about self-determination mm -hmm. and like well, you know like this value that like people get to be in charge of their own lives and like mm -hmm. what is that about but then sometimes we don't like the way people are acting so we mm -hmm. need laws to like say what the rules are sometimes and we sometimes we need to use force mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. to intervene when totally. something's really not working and I think of like protest as like a yeah. form of force right yeah. and like I not being heard and mm -hmm. this situation is unjust and mm -hmm. it's urgent mm -hmm. and I'm going to go and raise some heck yeah. and until I have your attention. Mm -hmm. But then that's just the first step, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. then you have to then remember what was it that motivated me here? Mm -hmm. uh, my motivation was to recognize our common humanity. Mm -hmm. My motivation was to make sure that we could be heard. Mm -hmm. And so then there's like the follow through of like, now that I have your attention, mm -hmm. now I'm going to engage in a conversation with you. Hello, fractal friends. I hope that you're enjoying this episode, and if so, sorry for interrupting. If you are enjoying the show, please subscribe to the podcast. Also, come visit fractalfriends.us. There you can find more information about each show and the guests. It really is becoming a source for all sorts of good information and resources. Also, while you're at the website, you can sign up for my newsletter, and that is where I share information about the podcast, but also about my work as a conflict transformation educator and catalyst. 
Over the years of working in the field of conflict transformation, I have discovered three rules of conflict. The first is that conflict is usually not about what it's about. The second is that those who are involved in the conflict have to be involved in the solution. And the third rule, which I'll describe today, says that the process for resolving conflict and the outcome are actually the same thing. People tend to think about resolving the conflict as something that will lead to a final, once and for all solution. The truth, however, is that the choice to resolve a conflict is simply the choice to begin a new way of being in relationship. The qualities that we bring to the process are also the qualities that we will create in the outcome. If we choose, for example, to be inclusive in the process, or to focus on sustainability as we address the situation, then the outcome will be inclusive and sustainable. The outcome is actually just a new process. It's a new way of being, which will in turn lead to new outcomes. And that then leads us to the fourth of the three rules of conflict. There won't ever be a final outcome. To transform conflicts, we need to stop focusing on winning or losing. And instead, we need to focus on how we want to be in relationship with each other. To create durable solutions to conflict, we have to first acknowledge that we're all in this together. From there, we can experiment with new ways of moving forward together. Life is an ongoing process, and we don't actually want to get to the end of this journey any sooner than we need to. Instead, we want to find new ways of interacting that can make this process of growth and change be less painful and more productive for everyone who's involved. If you would like to learn more about my work and the other rules of conflict, or if you would like to talk about a conflict that you would like to transform, you can visit duncanautry.com. There, you can sign up for a free half-hour consultation, and of course, you can sign up for my newsletter. Thank you for listening to this ad, and now let's go back to the show. Um, I had this uh, in college. There was uh, uh, anti-globalization protests. Mm. My college was right mm-hmm. next to the World Bank, and so um, we like blocked down, right. blocked their meetings down. We were protesting 35,000 people, I yeah. think, and it was really amazing. Um, and then later, I went my class, economics class. We went to the uh, the International Monetary Fund, the mm-hmm. IMF, mm-hmm. to like uh, learn about international economics because mm-hmm. it's right there. And, right. And the PR person was talking. He's like, "Oh, you guys are actually really nice college students." Mm-hmm. Like, and, and like we. You know, we had those protests and like we were waiting for someone to reach out to us mm. and no one ever reached out to talk to us. Mm. And I remember thinking, ooh, mm-hmm. I'm going to be that person. Mm-hmm. Like, wait, mm-hmm. wait, seriously? Like that, how interesting, at least to just go in there and be like, okay, we have your attention now. Right. Here's our list of demands, which maybe they'll never do, right. but at least like try, right. at a, you know, or at least right. be, and it was just like, and it's just like, what, like, Yes, like force is useful, and yes, mm-hmm. but like finding that power mm-hmm. that is um, is is important, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then but then we have to remember that there's like the follow through, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. um, and it's a tricky one, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. You know, I don't remember who said this, but it's like something to the point of like power will never give up without like you know basically huge struggle and demand and whatnot so i i do think that like there's a the whole spectrum is necessary yeah. we need brute force you know we need um non-violent resistance we need some violent resistance you know as well um and there's a time and a place for everyone mm-hmm. in the in the struggle and for me um i prefer to put my energy a little bit more on the 
getting groups of, get, of people together, calling in people, um, you know, deep witnessing, compassion, empathy, and, you know, decentering whiteness and, you know, calling white supremacy for what it is and calling out injustice and oppression for what it is, mm-hmm. you know, but also calling in white people to come do the work with us too. Right. You know? Yeah. I was like, this is a system that's not been treating people well. It's not okay to have systems that just like over and over again um, are valuing European descendants and mm-hmm. their and their and their value systems mm-hmm. at the expense of so many people. And there's, mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many hard institutions, mm-hmm. and and then the people that are in those institutions though are people who we actually want to bring mm-hmm. into the fold. So mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's also worth remembering they're scared of us too. You know, like, right? It's like really, you know, but I just think like. What's interesting is like that anti-cause. I'm mean, getting something is like a much is a very compelling way of mobilizing, mm-hmm. um, and but change really happens when we start pointing people in a direction. Mm-hmm. You know, when mm-hmm. we start um, showing people that something looks better. Right. And I think that's like also the interesting thing about stories. Right. Mm-hmm. Is like this ability. Like, what's the story that we want to create mm-hmm. that makes people say, "Ooh, right. I want that." Yeah, because that's how we're really going to make the changes, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I would love to sort of talk a bit about music and all these yeah. things. Like, I'm like, like, what are the ways you bring in beauty in this world? Tell me about that. How you help people find their their like their voice, their beauty? Yeah. So, um, you know, for me. I didn't really want to be a singer when I was younger. I never thought I had a good voice. This was not an interest to me. And then in my 20s, um, you know, I grew up playing a lot of different instruments. So in my 20s, I heard people singing and really was like, wow, some people have a beautiful voice. And it really touched me. And I was like, I wonder if I have a beautiful voice, too, Mm -hmm. whether I can sing. Um, So I used to, you know, this is when I was living in India. I was going to music school there for many years. I used to just walk alone on the beach and like soothe myself by singing some of my favorite songs. And it felt good. It felt good. Um, It calmed me down. It just made me feel not alone. Um, But I was like, do I have a good voice? Do I not? I don't know. But anyway, it felt good. So then later, um, I went down this path where Uh, My goal was never really to like, oh, I have an awesome voice. You know, I want to like have an amazing voice. My goal was to really just um, come in contact with my voice and free it and feel good about it. So I did a lot of expressive sounding practice. So I'd be doing scales and my scales would turn into um, howls and wails and cries and literally sometime turn into me crying. Um... And it just felt like such a release when I did it. Um, And, you know, through the process of doing that expressive sounding, I was like, oh, and my voice is also opening and getting more resonant and I'm getting more of a range. And, you know, I'm singing, quote unquote, better. Um, But that was never really my point. Um, So... I love, you know, when I have vocal students who've had years and years of like classical vocal training, lots of teachers, they are so highly skilled. I mean, their ranges are like huger than mine. They have amazing voices. And I see their mental process where they are just judging themselves, beating themselves up. Oh, my mm-hmm. God, it's, it should be more. I can't hit that one. No, no, no. So their, their process is like it's neurotic, you know. It's like so much self-criticism. 
And luckily, because I don't really have many um, teacher guides, this path has been mainly um, self-taught as well as taking a few group classes here and there. But I've never had a like, you know, private teacher who was just drilling me for years, really helping helping on the technical aspect. That's been my own exploration. So I bring in that energy for people when they're like with me. I'm not one of those like, what? How come you can't hit that note? Do it again. Da da da. da. Ooh, you're you know, what's wrong with your voice today? I'm just like, great. However you're feeling today, however your voice is, this is perfect and wonderful sound your emotions you know just let the sound move through you we'll just see how your voice keeps changing and opening um so i think that my gift you know for myself and my process as well as other people is total just love and acceptance and support of you know i want you to be with your voice today it's going to shift now and in five minutes and in an hour and tomorrow and i just want you to be with your voice as compassionately and with as much presence as possible and we will see how it shifts as you just allow your voice to open and things to move through. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know. So I just want to catch how like how similar that is to this question about mm-hmm. gender we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a good singer. Yeah. I'm a bad singer. Right. But like, okay, you're singing right now. You're expressing yourself. Yep. That's you right now. Like, it's there's this other, this the, you know, helping, mm-hmm. like, the label is where we get caught, right? Right. And like, just, yeah, I just really feel like, I'm like, oh, wait, that's like the same thing in a way. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I love just helping people free their voice because this has been one of my journeys in my Mm -hmm. life that I'm continuing to journey on is how do I get more and more into my authentic truth through my voice and speaking up and making sound and singing and just really, you know, feeling my own body as an open channel for whatever wants to come through. Um, So, yeah, I get a lot of pleasure um, and satisfaction just helping people open up their voices and, you know, um, sing when they've been told their whole life you can't sing or, like, stand up to their boss or whatever it is, however, you know, a free voice is showing up in their life. Um, and then for my own music, like, when I go in and I, and I do music, I just sit there and I get quiet, I open my voice, open my body, and just allow whatever emotions need to move through that day. So, I mean, my singing is all improv. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's like, okay, I don't know, like, what I have in me today. But it's just getting quiet and trusting and knowing that inspiration will move through and whatever, you know, whatever emotions need to move through will move through. Um, So, yeah, it's it's a surprising process and also, like, um, delightful. Mm -hmm. I'm noticing, like, that story about being on the beach and then mm-hmm. moving into like the expressive singing where mm-hmm. that you know, brought you to tears sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, I'm looking forward to taking mm-hmm. the, the free your voice workshop with mm-hmm. you soon. But I did once a little small class with right. you once. And I, and I remember an exercise where we were, we learned, um, a piece mm-hmm. and then we would sing it. Mm-hmm. And then we were asked to sort of think about an emotion, mm-hmm. sing mm-hmm. that piece through that emotion. Mm-hmm. And see if the other person got it, mm-hmm. and it was like, uncanny how mm-hmm. well that worked. Right. And um, I remember, I think it was a piece. Um, let's see, who was the guy? It was like a classical musician, like a TED Talks guy. Uh, actually, went and watched it again the other day because I was thinking about this. Uh, Benjamin Zander. Mm. He does this TED Talk about music and why we all love classical mm. music, and, and but but we just don't know it yet, mm-hmm. and. 
he was like talking about people who like think that they can't sing, they don't, they don't mm-hmm. tone deaf or something. It's like, mm-hmm. well, like you're actually not tone deaf. Mm-hmm. If you can answer the phone and you can tell what mood the person on the other right. line is in, then you understand tone, right? Yeah. Like that's there. Right. And to think about what I'm sort of hearing is like the tone and music, it's like actually communicating in an mm-hmm. emotion mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. and that this is something that's that's beyond the technical skill. Right. That's beyond the um I don't know, just like it's 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 something that's actually what makes us human in a way. Mm-hmm. Like we can see people's faces and we know what's going on a right. little bit, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I feel like in someone's voice, you can pick up all the musical tones of how they're feeling. They're tired today. They're angry today. They're sad today, you know. Um, so, I mean, in my voice classes, we are working on the technical aspect of your body is your instrument. Just like you have to tune guitar strings. I mean, we have to tune our body, you know, do some scales, work on our range. So we are working on our body as our instrument and tuning it and building the instrument we're playing music on it, so we're singing our songs. How do we want to phrase this? Do we want to have a little vibrato? Do we want to have a breathy tone to the song? Do we want to have a clear tone? So, I mean, you know, you're tuning, you're building your instrument, you're playing music on it. And then there's a third part, which is really about communicating your soul song, your heart song, your intention. Why are you singing this song? What do you want people to feel? So, you know, if you have a person who is just all heart, but they haven't tuned their instrument and they're just like, ah, you know, voices like shrieking and like, ah, not a pitch, like you can feel their emotion, but you might say, oh, wow, like that could have, you know, that didn't land so good musically with me. And then you have people who are pitch perfect, but they've forgotten how to connect in with their soul and their heart. Mm-hmm. So we have to work on all of these aspects, you know, um, but for me, you know, really the most important thing about the voice is you're conveying a story and an emotion and a feeling. So that's what I'm getting people. You know, we have so much self-consciousness in our society. So if I'm thinking all the time, how do I sound? How do I sound? Do I sound good? Did you like me? Am I on pitch? Da, 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 da. You can never get to that place of freedom because you're so worried about other people, um, their reaction to you. Now, if you're thinking, I'm singing you a song or I'm saying something and I want to communicate my grief, or I want to communicate my joy, that's going to come through, and now we have, like, a real heart resonance, you know, versus, like, a technical perfection, but, like, there's no heart or soul there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is funny. There's, like, a recurring question in this podcast. It's mm-hmm. like, what's up with music? Like, why is this something that's so universal and touches us so much? Like, mm-hmm. why? how is this so important for us humans? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if it's a question. It's just more mm-hmm. of, like, a musing, but... It's really amazing, you know? Well, I mean, to me, like, the whole universe is vibrating with Mm -hmm. sound. Yeah. Every single thing. Your body is playing music right now. Your organs, your cells, everything is playing music in your body. Um, We just can't hear most of the frequencies. So for me, music is a sound vibration. And it also, again, it's that emotional quality, the heart quality. So, um, you know, most of us don't love music when there's no soul to it. It's just a bunch of notes, frequencies, but they're not really impacting us. Um, So what I love about music is that you're able to connect in with the emotional quality, Mm -hmm. you know, to the sound vibration. Yeah. Thanks for the reminder about the the vibration. Um, uh, It actually was really interesting. I kind of was preparing for this, and I was... um, uh, knew that you had studied tabla at a certain mm-hmm. point and I was like what is this tabla I keep on hearing about this mm-hmm. and I was like oh what is this and so I got to go in this beautiful musical wormhole last night listening oh, nice. to tabla and yeah. like and um, uh, who's this guy uh, 
Bikram Ghosh, and I was mm. listening to this guy, and mm. he was talking about music and playing music, and and then he was saying this thing that I was like, oh right, I love this idea because I've heard like Alan Watts talk about this too, but like everything's vibration, mm-hmm. like all the way down to like the quantum level where things are mm-hmm. vibrating mm-hmm. in and out of existence, mm-hmm. and then you know Halley's comet and cycles around the sun, mm-hmm. the heartbeat, mm-hmm. um, this conversation mm-hmm. back and forth, mm-hmm. you know, and. But then also all those little vibrations and those little tones, like the tempo is life. Like and right. that's like human and that's like part of how we interact with the mm-hmm. world. And just like it, like I don't know, this becomes like this like instinctual like aspect of like, ooh, this mm-hmm. is something I'm drawn to. Mm-hmm. Like because I think Alan Watts is like, in fact, every human activity that we enjoy doing is some sort of uh vibration, mm-hmm. right? And it's a good you know, soccer team going back and forth, or right. or the like, chess or, or conversation or dance, like right. it, it, you know, and hmm, yeah, <laughs> totally, I love it. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm curious um, uh, if you if there's like any exercise or anything that like, is there anything that you feel like we can share in this medium, like mm-hmm. about music? That like, I'm curious, like, if you have any thoughts about that, like a music practice. Yeah, like a music practice, mm-hmm. and like. I'm willing to get in that with you if you mm-hmm. want, but like, or I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you think about your body as an instrument, mm-hmm. right? Um, chakras, big energy centers found in different locations in your body. They correspond to different um, systems. Like you can think about the third chakra right in your solar plexus associated with your digestive system, um, fire element, a lot of fear there as well as your power. Um, so one thing that we could do in order to really get in um, touch with like our body as a vibrating instrument and the effects of sound and where sound is vibrating with different sounds. Um, for instance, if I make a up in my head, it's going to be resonating and vibrating higher in my body. If I make a it's going to be resonating lower, more in my mm-hmm. belly. So by doing chakra sound meditations, you know, different sound for each um, chakra and really feeling the vibrational resonance um, in each chakra, one, you can just get in touch with your body just by putting your attention, you know, in your body. And then two, feeling the sound vibration in each part of, uh, you know, each chakra, each part of your body. Um, So I love doing chakra sound meditations as a way to tune up my body, Mm -hmm. um, get clear, have an open channel. Um, so I can do vowel tones, like an oo at the root chakra, um, moving to an o in the second chakra, then an aw in the third, an ah in the heart, an a in the throat, an e in the um, third eye, the sixth, and then silence at the top. So you could do you know repetitive toning um, for each chakra. You could also move the energy up and down your spine by combining all the vowels together. You could do, for instance... And then moving down from silence down to the root. So those types of um, sound meditations, um, 
just feeling the shapes changing in your mouth, feeling the energy moving up and down the spine, um, tuning up your body, making a clear open channel. I love doing chakra sound meditations. feedback loop when you're listening to yourself and, mm. and i do have that right now with my headphones mm. on it's mm. really cool nice <laughs> yeah. it was really beautiful Great. to listen to well thank you mm. yeah it's um it's amazing how much you can really feel that just go right through you know mm-hmm. like then and mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, chakras are like this really powerful mm-hmm. concept and, mm-hmm. and also like kind of something that's like a um, like a little agnostic about like what is this thing you know what am I looking at here like what what does that actually mean but um that I feel that Mm -hmm, right there mm -hmm. yeah it's amazing you know one reason why I really love um voice work you know when you're playing another instrument like something you blow into you know didgeridoo flute etc or some stringed instrument um the instrument acts to me as like a little bit of a buffer or like a, a conduit through. For me, the voice, it comes directly out of your instrument, which is your body. And breath, I mean, if we go through life holding our breath or, you know, shallow chest breathing, hijacking our nervous systems, singing gets you so directly connected in with your breath, where you're taking deep breaths into your belly, you're doing really long, slow exhales, which is calming down your nervous system. You know, you're releasing so many chemicals when you're singing, um, endorphins, dopamine, when you're singing with another person, oxytocin. So singing has this quality of both relaxing you as well as energizing you, you know, so you feel calm and you feel like happy. Um, So I love singing. To me, it's the most vulnerable of all of the um, instruments, the body, because it comes directly out of the body. I can't hide my emotions You know, meaning if I'm sad, my voice is going to be kind of sad and like a little shaky. If I'm angry, there's going to be a little strident, hard quality. So you can't really hide your emotions with your voice. Um, And so it's like an immediate, um, it's kind of eye-opening. You know, the first time I ever sang in a band, I listened to my voice and I was like, oh my God, you are so angry. And I didn't really know how much anger I had until I got on the mic and I heard myself and I was like, wow, you are snarling. You are like practically screaming into the mic. Um, And it was a little shocking, but I was like, "Okay, well, that's where I'm at, you know. So then getting to see like the journey um, through the voice, through emotions, the breath of like, "Okay, after you get through that layer of anger, what's going to be sitting underneath there? There's some hurt there's some grief, there's some loss, you know, and after you start clearing the layers, you're like, oh, and there's some joy, you know, but that, that took many years to find. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we've talked a little bit about how, uh, you know, do workshops, how people Mm -hmm. find their voices and Mm -hmm. things, but you also are like doing all sorts of things where you're putting together like social justice Mm -hmm. and and art and, Mm -hmm. um, uh, 
um, you actually did a workshop recently with Aria, mm-hmm. who's a previous guest in this podcast. Yeah. And we talk about stories also, Love surprisingly Aria. enough. Yeah. And, um, and so I guess I'm just like, like we'd love to hear a little bit more mm-hmm. about like where, like where you're playing with the intersections of like using art mm-hmm. to get our stories to mm-hmm. create change in the mm-hmm. world like mm-hmm. to tie all those pieces mm-hmm. together um i don't know if there's a workshop that you keep on doing or mm-hmm. if there's you want to talk about how they went but uh, mm-hmm. like i'm interested to like kind of find that intersection point there yeah. yeah so you know i have used art as one of my primary um teachers and resources for my own healing art like has this beautiful way of creating meaning and beauty out of all, you know, primarily, you know, I went into art um, as a way to deal with my pain. Um, I think a lot of artists probably, um, you know, use their art as a way of, of making sense and meaning out of pain. Not too many people are like, yes, I have all this joy. How do I put, you know, art to it? Um, that might come later. <laughs> but um, so I used art really as a way to um, heal and Um, talking about my problems. Um, I could feel like I was just reciting stories or in my head, not in my body. So as I got older, especially in my 30s, I began to find embodied expressive arts um, processes as a way to come into my body, what stories, what memories, what experiences, what emotions are here living inside of me that I never had access to when I was just up in my head you know, talking about things or critiquing things or whatever. Um, So coming into my body where there was a lot of pain was um, scary. It was hard. I didn't really want to be in my body. Um, But that's where I ultimately found my site of healing. And using art as a way to, you know, like movement and dance and drawing um, and writing and theater and all of these processes um, as a way to give story to all of these experiences to write the stories that I want to write um that has been really healing so you know when I work with groups of people I love to bring in the arts because it gets people out of their head gets them into a creative process yeah so I mean inherent in art is creativity and creating and I feel like when we can create something beautiful something meaningful from our experience there's something inherently satisfying about that process you know you can instead of just being like oh this painful experience you know has got a hold on me it's like we're able to shape that painful experience into some work of beauty and art um, which is touching other people which you know, is helping to educate other people, giving empathy, you know, allowing people to have empathy, um, etc. So I just feel like art has been really um, a key part of my healing in terms of getting witnessed by other people, being able to share my experience, being able to get love back from people, touching other people. Um, so in my groups, I we do do some, you know, heady intellectual stuff, but I really want to keep um, most of the focus on the body, and into creative processes where people are able to be like, wow, I just made, you know, made this or did this or created this. Um, so I do work with adult adoptees where we do um, a workshop called um, Adoption Stories, Healing the Primal Wound. And for a lot of adoptees, um, especially who are adopted as small, small babies, um, 
the trauma of being adopted is preferable. We can't put any words to this. Mm -hmm. So by going to the body and going into creative um, practices, we're able to um, uncover some of these stories and then transform them. Um, I also work with Aria doing um, collective emergence work. We're going to be running a series in January looking at ancestral legacies, both the legacies that our ancestors have left us, as well as what legacies we as future, you know, ancestors to future generations mm-hmm. want to leave behind, using theater and performance, um, expressive arts, etc. Um, yeah, so I love just bringing groups of people together where we can create, you know, instead of, like, I grew up in college, I was a theory person. I loved destroying and critiquing other people's arguments and theories and poking holes. Um, and then one day I woke up and I was like, I know how to destroy everyone else's creations, but I don't know how to create myself. Mm-hmm. So let me move into that process of learning how to create. Um, so that's what um, has given me a lot of life force and what I want to help other people do is create together. Yeah. Wow, I feel like I just have like a whole new concept about creativity right mm-hmm. now. Like. Um, talking about it with this other person we talk about creativity and we're talking about mm-hmm. how it's kind of this like black box kind of reach in there you don't really know mm-hmm. what you're going to get out but then I'm like hearing here and it's like also creativity is like let me synthesize an experience mm-hmm. um, a story you know mm-hmm. like that actually know like it's mm-hmm. not just arbitrary necessarily but like right. by by capturing it synthesizing it now it's something that's packaged I can mm-hmm. share it with you mm-hmm. and now I can almost way heal from it because it's mm-hmm. now this thing right mm-hmm. And then also here, like creativity as like sometimes that black box is going into the stuff that we can't remember. Mm-hmm. They actually, but is from mm-hmm. within us, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And how, like, yeah, that's that's something that's there. And it's like, I like the idea of like going to the body, mm-hmm. you know, like what mm-hmm. do I feel here? And then from there, finding more. Right. But then I also hear about creativity as being this, um, this way that we get to engage with mm-hmm. this giant historical experience that mm-hmm. we're in. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like I heard this thing that I just really love and I just keep on coming back to it. It's like, we have this gift, kind of everyone like throughout all generations, but really this generation is a very special gift in certain ways that we get to do healing for not just ourselves, not just our parents, but our ancestors. Like mm-hmm. that there's a way that the healing that we are doing is because of just we have so much access to like resources and we get to have like, you know, like you know, transgender transnational folks helping us get in touch mm-hmm. with their voices and, mm-hmm. you know, having these new experiences that my dad never was gonna mm-hmm. have. He couldn't mm-hmm. have had these experiences. My grandparents, great grandparents, there's no way that they could have been exposed to all the different possibilities mm-hmm. and all the different ideas they don't get to go to theater workshops about you know transcending ancestral things so that's up that's on us right right, right. but then i love the reminder that we're the ancestors mm-hmm. of the future right mm-hmm. that like mm-hmm. this is our gift totally. like this is our i mean our gift to really sort some things out mm-hmm. before we pass mm-hmm. them on you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah um so question i always ask people here mm-hmm. is like given your life experience mm-hmm. and given the unique um Amber field perspective on yeah. this universe. What's something that you have found that is helpful to you that you might invite other people to pay attention to as they're mm. like trying to grow as humans and help mm. the world be better? I mean, two things are coming to mind. I've touched on them a little bit already, but one, just the incredible wisdom that our bodies are holding. 
So, you know, coming back into our bodies as much as possible. Um, pain, pain is a great, great teacher. Um, yeah, using the wisdom of our bodies. Our bodies are speaking to us all the time, trying to get us to like pay attention and listen. Um, so I would say um, practices where we're able to come in contact with our bodies, you know, do some self-care. Uh, I love being out in nature. Just something about the rhythm um, and the frequency of being out in nature. It's just so non-neurotic. <laughs> like, you know, what humans have created on this planet. Um, a lot of striving, aggression, productivity, speediness, etc. So I love um, nature as a huge um, resource to come back into like a more sane way of living. And then the third thing is community. You know, just I can feel all alone with my experience. I don't really want to share. I'm sitting here in shame or whatever it might be. And then I go and talk to someone and I get some empathy and listening and like, oh, yeah, well, me too. And then I'm like, oh, actually, like, I'm okay. I don't need to hold on to this all by myself feeling, you know, overwhelmed. So the power of community of like like-minded tribe um, just to hold space and witness and support um, and yeah, and I feel like at this point in our um, history, it's not just like-minded community, but really broadening our community, trying to get it as inclusive and diverse as possible so that we can really um, learn from each other and um, co-create a world that we all want to live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I think it comes down to is like mm-hmm. it, our individual perspectives are always limited. And the more that we can see, the more eyes we can see the mm-hmm. world with, that we can see ourselves with, right. like the the more we get to grow, and I like how those things all kind of connect. It's mm-hmm. like community, nature, mm-hmm. feeling, mm-hmm. letting ourselves be in the pain, yeah. Then getting nature and community to help us through right, that, right. helping community help us feel some pain sometimes, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, like that's one of the mm-hmm. beauties of it, of mm-hmm. it too. You know, mm-hmm. like oh, I feel challenged mm-hmm. by being seen, you know, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. helping me grow too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking about, um, I had a therapist several years ago who said that there are two paths to transformation. One is through pain and suffering, and the other is through love. And I feel like for a majority of my life, I chose the first path as my path of transformation, a lot of pain, suffering. Um, And now really moving into the second half of my life with love as Mm -hmm. being the transformative factor and so much of that is like being in a community where we all feel like we belong, you know, and that we are able to hold space for each other and the power of what that does. So instead of like pain being the driving force of, oh my God, things are so bad, I need to go get help. But like, how does love and care and community, how does that change us? Mm-hmm. How does that heal us? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I love that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of made the theme of September is self-love September. Mm-hmm. And, and I've been... Um, and someone told me just a couple weeks ago that like uh, that compassion is the opposite of shame. Mm-hmm. And I also thought it was like maybe the antidote to shame. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Like self-compassion. It's mm-hmm. like if you are feeling ashamed, there's also a part of you that can feel compassion totally. for yourself mm-hmm. struggling mm-hmm. with the thing, whatever that you're feeling bad about. Mm-hmm. And that we can understand what compassion looks like when we look to friends, right? Because we right. can picture what a compassionate friend might say to mm-hmm. us, right? And they can do that. But then also noticing that that's in there. And I just really feeling like the wanting to make that transition mm-hmm. in my own life instead of yeah. trying to motivate myself through, oh, well, you're doing it wrong. Nah, nah. Mm-hmm. But instead of being like, hey, Duncan, 
sweet guy struggling mm-hmm. a little bit mm-hmm. like you know like get back to work you know right. have a sign in my wall that says compassionately getting back to work but in my mind it actually says compassionately getting your ass back to work <laughs> like, like you know like, <laughs> right. like, and and it's like how can i do that you know mm-hmm. and uh um oh i love it mm-hmm. um so amber how how if people want to like come to your workshops or do your things like how, how are they going to find find you and all your magic they will find me um at my website amberfieldmusic.com um i am teaching um usually two classes in berkeley and two classes in san francisco of the free your voice series so there are different tracks of it like free your voice initiation the harmony class, the chakra focus, the drumming and singing class. Um, but yeah, I usually run um, four different classes at the same time, two in San Francisco, two in Berkeley. So I'll have a round that starts in mid-January. Um, and then, what's another way? Um, I'm on social media, but not a huge presence. I don't like to spend a whole lot of time there, but I'm on Facebook, um, Amberfield Music, Instagram, also I think Amberfield Music, um, Twitter, etc. cetera. Um, but yeah, the best way is just to come find me in person. Mm-hmm. We can hang out. Um, I do private work, um, expressive art sessions, voice work, musical classes, you know, rites of passage work, etc. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm all about like the interpersonal sitting live time vibe, you know, and how can we like hang out together and co-create. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So I'm totally going to put you on the spot here now. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually like, like putting a song at the end of the podcast mm-hmm. and I'll like look through your music and see if I can find a song mm-hmm. that I like, or I'll like find someone else's music and put it on. Mm-hmm. But like, do you want to, are you down for doing like a live song right now? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be a cool way to wrap it up. All right. I brought a little drum. I'll go ahead and close us out while Amber gets her drum ready. Thank you for listening to Fractal Friends. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. And if you have, uh, please uh, share it with your friends. And also, don't forget, you can come to fractalfriends.us to get more information about Amberfield and all of the things that we talk about during the show. And now, please enjoy this live song by Amberfield. Ancestors call.